Welcome to this edition of the IWI's CFITrainer.net podcast. Today, in December, we're going to have sort of a holiday treat. We're going to do a profile or a spotlight on somebody that we've known for a long time who's been, shall we say, the godfather of fire as far as I'm concerned. For me, he has been anyway. Since uh, around 1995, I've been working in the fire service or with the fire service and fire investigation people. And one name always came up as someone who knew a whole lot about fire dynamics and uh, the phenomena of fire. And that is Dr. Quinteri. Dr. Quinteri uh, is joining us today on the phone for a quick interview about what he's done in the fire service, his contributions, and what he sees important as we move forward. So, Dr. Quinteri, you're one of the smart guys. Uh, You've taught and mentored a lot of people. I appreciate very much you being on the phone with us today. How are you? I'm the same, but uh, I don't know how smart I am, but I'll try. Well, I wanted you to know I have a candle lit uh, for our interview because that was, I think, one of Very good, yes. Maybe light, too. I think it's, well, it's got three wicks. It's one of those very complex candles. Okay. So, um... You know, I was looking back at some of the things you've done, and you've been well-published with Principles of Fire Behavior, Enclosure Fire Dynamics, Fundamentals of Fire Phenomena, and uh, you also helped us with the production of an understanding of fire through the candle experiments, which I think were originally done by Michael Faraday. Yes, he was a good guy, and I I was really uh, proud and happy to uh, uh, do that with you guys. Uh, That's still a fond memory. It was, it was fond for us, too, and I'm going to tell you something that I'm not sure you know, and that's that over 13,000 people have viewed that program since we put it up. Well, it's wonderful. Faraday was a genius. He was one of the greatest scientists that, you know, lived in modern times, uh, relatively modern times, and, uh, you know, it goes back to him. But I'll tell you who turned me on to that. That was Rick Miller from the ATF, who was fascinated uh, with uh, Faraday's uh, book on the candle and just continued to do experiments uh, in his spare time. So Rick Miller really turned me on and he he's one of the ringleaders of getting the ATF, you know, into science. He kind of disappeared from the scene, but he, he was a great guy. Well, that's a great thing. And, and getting getting all of us in fire investigation and I, I allow myself to be in that just because I get to work around you. Um, has been a, a, a huge contribution. And I, I think it was really the first way that I got involved with you when we were working in Interfire. So I think about Interfire and then I think about uh, the candle experiments and, and look at you, boom, you know, now you're the professor emeritus uh, with the University of Maryland. So what have you been up to? Well, uh, I play with the Mummers. We have a big gig on New Year's Day in Philadelphia. So look for me with the Durning String Band. You said Durning? Uh, Durning. Okay. Like turning with a D. Okay. And um, and then I have my finger in some research. I've done some research for the uh, FAA. That's why I have this place in Margate uh, to kind of relax down here in the off-season. And then I do some work for the FAA. I've done work on batteries. Uh, that was an experience, lithium-ion batteries. And... Uh, then with my colleague, Peter Sunderland at the university, we have a contract with NASA uh, to study um, uh, how things burn in microgravity. So our experiment is uh, slated to go on to the uh, 
space station in a few years, and and we're going to be really proud to see that uh, fly up there. Wow, that's pretty and interesting. And hope, hope that it tells us something uh, that we don't know. So are the folks that you work with in the FAA, do they still have the office over in Atlantic City? Oh, yeah. there's uh, The FAA has a big technical center there where they uh, do uh, most of the work uh, that supports their regulations. Uh, and uh, there's a really great fire program there that's concentrated on aircraft fire safety. Uh, they've probably done the most work on lithium-ion batteries. So if any investigators are interested in that, uh, uh, that group, uh, the fire safety branch, has a website, and almost all of their reports are now electronic. Nice. You can download them for free. I was surprised to find out they were there. I guess they had a place there and in Denver uh, when we were working with them years back. Yeah, they've been there for ages, going back to World War II. Uh, it used to be called NAFAC because it was a Navy facility. And um, and I guess they were intermingled with them. Uh, but they're, they're, they've, they've been there a long time. It's a great laboratory, and the, the, the work that they do in fire safety is one of the best in the world. Well, the folks that I worked with down there were awesome. Um, we were doing some things on screeners and trying to uh, help them teach, you know, in a virtual way how to do better screening of passengers as they came in, and they had yeah. amazing... Yeah, they, they, the um, uh, air marshals uh, even have a facility on their site now. Yeah, I believe it. Well, I hope someday we'll get to work down there again. Yeah, I think I think you, you know some of your guys would might be interested in looking at uh, fire safety and aircraft. Uh, uh, I don't know how many get that uh, opportunity, but uh, it is unique. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, for us. It was it was dealing with trying to get people to stop bringing the wrong things on a plane. And it seems like as you're working on lithium-ion batteries and a couple of the phones that I know have been mentioned recently, that's getting to be an issue as well. Well, even after 9-11, they still were bringing things on planes that they hadn't really sorted out yet. You know, it, it took a few years after 9-11 before they stopped bringing flammable liquids on on an airplane. So... Uh, you know, there there's many issues with air, aircraft. Uh, you have new aircraft now made out of uh, a composite, which is a plastic uh, with carbon, and that's flammable. And, and instead of aluminum, that just melts. You have Malaysia Air that disappeared. It had 6,000 uh, pounds of lithium-ion batteries in its cargo bay. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yes, there's stuff on the internet about that, but we still don't know what caused that plane to come down. Well, yeah, and I saw the last thing that they were saying was everywhere they were searching, uh, they didn't think it was there. So, well, be interesting we'll to see, see what happens. Yeah. You know, I know you have a mechanical engineering degree, and I also uh, read that you were the chief of NIST Fire, Eng- uh, Fire Science and Engineering. But I, I'm, I'm trying to think about, you know, wanted to know, what drove you into fire and fire science? Ah, I lost my job. <laughs> okay. Yes, I, you know, I got my PhD from New York University. Then I was uh, really happy to get a job in uh, outside of New Brunswick in New Jersey, uh, working for American Standard. They had a research lab there. And um, 
a couple of other people in Firefield uh, went through that lab uh, before me. It's just a coincidence. So uh, I got a job there doing heat transfer work, and um, corporate business and research wasn't that uh, profitable. So a lot of corporations were cutting back the research labs, and I was I was one of the first to go. So looked around for a job and wound up at the National Bureau of Standards, uh, working in their expanding fire program. Nice, and then ended up being the chief of the fire science and no, engineering. No, I was I was chief of one division. Uh, right there was a the, there was the center for, for fire research there at one time that uh, John Lyons. Uh, uh, put together. That was a really great experience working in that environment because that group uh, numbered as high as 120 people. It really was uh, uh, pioneering some of the uh, work in fire because no one had ever worked in it before in the U.S. to any large extent. And um, it was a great experience. So then I moved up and I became one of the, the two division chiefs and but uh you know management uh was fine but uh, i wanted to keep my finger in the technical side of things seems like you've always done that i'm wondering so at the beginning what were some of the first experiments or can you give an example of one of the first things you worked on well we were all learning at that time i tell you the truth uh rod uh i didn't know how uh the flame on a match worked so, you know, even though I had a Ph.D. in uh, the field of heat transfer, uh, fire is uh, a much more complex field because uh, not only do you have heat transfer mixed up with fluid mechanics, you have chemistry and turbulence and soot, and, uh, and it's, a, it's a very complex field. So it's hard to get your arms around it at first. But uh, one of the first things I worked on was... Uh, they started to look at the flammability of carpets because uh, floor coverings up to about the 70s were mainly vinyl floors and things like that and the linoleum. And then they switched over to carpet and uh, they had some big fires, mm-hmm. I think one in a nursing home in Pennsylvania. And so uh, attention was focused on should there be a, fire test for floor covering materials. Up to that point, floor coverings were kind of exempt from any fire testing. So I got to work in that territory. There was a really big effort going on. and I was working around the fringes and doing some analysis and uh, helped uh, even with the final test method that they put together. So that, that's how I got my feet planted. It was very practical work. Uh, but there was analysis uh, that had to be done, and, and uh, you know, uh, it was it was a learning experience. It's funny, you know, you, you say you didn't know how a match worked. We just got done doing a module on thermometry, and uh, Dan Madrakowski, you know, for the first time, explained to me a couple of things so that I could understand them about heat transfers and the different types of heat. And it was, uh, it was you know, it's always so interesting to learn. Um, so as, as a researcher, you know, what, what did you find most rewarding in the fire investigation field? Well, what happened when I first moved into the field, there were a couple of scientific simultaneous efforts. You might remember there was a commission put together by Nixon 
to look at fire safety and firefighting issues. I didn't know that. Uh, America Burning. Okay, yes, that I remember. Uh, so America Burning uh, spawned some activity, and, and that triggered uh, a bigger effort at uh, what was then the National Bureau of Standards, which is now National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. There was a parallel program in basic research at the National Science Foundation. And so a lot of academics were involved in that program. And they had a really good guy there at the NSF fostering this new work in fire. So it was very fundamental at the time. Ralph Long was the guy involved. And uh, the most rewarding experience for me was to get involved at the threshold of this developing uh, scientific area and then see what was going on in the fundamental aspect of this field through NSF and then later at the Bureau of Standards uh, and meet so many academics around the world uh, and in the U.S. that uh, now started devoting their attention to fire. So it, it was a, a learning experience for them, but that they had a lot better skills than me. So I learned from some really, really good people that they inspired me, really. Yeah, I mean, a... there's a person, you know, like Howard Emmons from uh, Harvard is viewed as a father of fire science. But if you go around the world, there's, there's other uh, fathers. Uh, you have Phil Thomas in uh, the UK. You have uh, Kunio Kawagoe in Japan. These were pioneers that did a lot of work and, and uh, you know, directed work that led to the learning in these places. And then in the 70s, uh, John Lyons helped to, uh, you know, bring this all together uh, at uh, NBS. NBS was really, you know, it was called the Center for Fire Research, but it really became a center internationally. I, two things that are interesting to me. One is that I never thought of President Richard Nixon um, and tied that to America's burning. Um, that's yes, no, that was a Republican-based committee. And I, and I also think uh, that, um, I, you know, me and my little world, we think of you as one of the godfathers of fire. I, matter of fact, no, no, no. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just an intermediary. Uh, there were some great people. People like Phil Thomas was doing work in the 60s. And uh, uh, someone once said, and this is actually true, that Phil Thomas worked on every problem in fire research, you know, from a fundamental point of view before anyone else. Uh, so, uh, you know, new students in this field uh, don't go back far enough in the literature because some of these uh, electronic databases uh, stop at 1970 or something like that. But uh, there was some uh, fantastic work. And the British had a fire lab called the Fire Research Station. It, it, it sounds like a fire station, but it's a re research laboratory. And uh, if you look at some of their annual reports, you, you would be uh, really uh, amazed at uh, not just uh, what they did, but how they all put it together in a layman's presentation as an annual report. Uh, it, it's, uh, uh, it's really, there's some of these things that still lie around some libraries. 
So, so in other uh, words, for somebody to get these, you're saying that a lot of them have not been digitized or they aren't available on the internet. Well, yet. A- actually, actually, the uh, uh, the old fire research notes are now available for free. Uh, you know, Phil Thomas and uh, Kunio Kawagoe and others. Uh, we formed the International Association for Fire Safety Science. It's a mouthful, International Association for Fire Safety Science, I-A-F-S-S. It's the organization that exists today that tries to um, assemble research every three years, you know, for presentation and discussion. And uh, the... the, um, uh, executive office uh, now has all those proceedings for free on the internet. So anyone could download them. And in addition, they also have all of the British old reports, the fire research notes, and they could download them too. So uh, anybody listening to this, go to uh, IAFSS.org, look it up. Uh, see what you can get for free. Uh, join. You don't have to be a scientist. This this is open to everybody. Uh, and uh, you'll see what's going on around the world today. Unfortunately, the uh, I would say over the last 20 years, we've gone uh, away from fundamental work. And uh, we're just kind of solving problems and applying old techniques. You've been saying that for years to me. You know that we need well, to do it's more. Twenty years, yeah. yes, it's twenty years. So it it, it it's. Uh, I think other people see that uh, too. Uh, maybe not the new people in the field within that twenty year span, but people that look back uh, see that the work had a different tinge to it. Uh, today, CFD modeling seems to be the cure all. But underlying CFD modeling, there's problems that are very fundamental, and uh, you have to look at them closely before you can confidently, you know, make a simplification that uh, is easier to use. Understood. So that gets to data in some time, in some cases. And one of the questions I had for you was, you know, as as someone who's been around investigation, you and I have had some conversations, and I've I've heard you. A little frustrated uh, with some things involved in investigation or in data that you might have been able to get. What have you What have you done? What have you done to to get better data yourself, or what have you done to get over some of the frustrations that you've had, or or maybe they still exist? Well, uh, I don't I don't know how I classed uh, my frustrations when we talked in the past, but. Uh, uh, you, you know, the, the development of the ATF Fire Lab uh, is a big accomplishment. Uh, I don't think that's supported sufficiently. Uh, I think the work they do is superb. And I wish that they had vehicle to get that work out, you know, to the fire investigator and others. So, you know, it wouldn't just not be a laboratory in a background, but something that you know, comes to the forefront and uh, produces uh, uh, reports that uh, people can benefit from. Uh, 
the the fact that 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 was not built on the campus of the University of Maryland is probably one of my biggest disappointments because it was by president order to be built on the university campus and uh politically it got all screwed up yeah uh sorry so, to hear that uh, uh i mean that that was a loss to uh both ATF and the University of Maryland uh so that that's that's something that's not good when when you say data uh i think more of uh, uh research uh uh treatises and reports and today it's google i mean you could get almost anything or you could find uh evidence of something from google you could either get the document or find out where it might be so uh there there's uh uh the 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 time of going into a dusty library shelf and combing through uh books uh and index cards is over i mean uh these uh, uh search uh machines have leveled the playing field i mean more than just in fire but uh uh you know that so i think that uh, data and research information is quite accessible uh uh the uh the fundamental nature of the work in fire uh maybe it's not fully there uh like it was in the 70s uh but it'll come back i mean there's uh, bastions of work now china has about Two dozen institutions, uh, academic institutions, working on fire. They have a big program. They have a a, a whole uh, university uh, academy uh, that uh, uh, allows people to get degrees uh, in in engineering related to firefighting, uh, fire investigation, uh, fire regulations, uh, fire engineering. So. Uh, you know, the world is changing, it's globalizing, and, and uh, there'll be other places uh, around the world uh, that, where we have fire. It, you, there's a meeting coming up in San Francisco. There's some fire investigation work in that. It's called a fire and materials meeting. That, that meeting is sponsored by a UK organization. It, if, you, if you look around and you tried to find where is there a key meeting on fire research in the U.S., you'd be hard-pressed to find one other than that one. Yeah, I know there's some work going on over at UL with um, Dan Madrakowski and his folks. Yeah, there, there's work going on, but it's it's much more limited. In other words, like the fire program at NIST was 125 people in the by the end of the 70s. Uh, now it's 25. Yeah, I think we're all running a little leaner than we care to. Yeah, I mean, look, and the field has expanded enormously in terms of its uh, scope and uh, people interested in it. But the people trying to do the the work that advances the field is not there. And, uh, you know, IAAI will have their meeting and they'll present some, you know, research type work. Uh, but there's really no 
you know, like academics in the U.S. and government agencies, there, there's no, no prime meeting in the U.S. Uh, leading this anymore. Yeah, it seems even in, in higher education, you know, I see so many colleges, universities, all kinds of uh, places of education that are driving education and fire investigation towards certificates or towards degrees. But you're right, I, I don't hear much about research. Um, yes, and those, those degrees are capitalizing on the information that was developed uh you know, in the seventies and eighties, uh, uh, so they're they're teaching that material now. That that's wonderful. I mean, that's why I went into uh, you know the academic world to transfer that information. But uh, uh, we 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 need to, as a as a country, invest in uh, in this field. I mean, uh, you know, fire has one uh, application and in investigation. But uh, fire controls commerce through regulations, um, and it tries to get the right uh, uh, safety requirements in facilities, buildings, aircraft. You want to do that right. You want to do that in the most efficient way, and you want to do that in a way that um, doesn't hamper uh, commerce. So what's the argument? Since, since we're on the topic, and then maybe we can move on to something else. But, I mean, what's the argument to government, to private sector, um, hearing it from somebody like you with your credibility? How do you argue for better and more research? Well, you might say it's not a national government job. But if you look at the field of fire, there's, there's not one corporation or one state entity or even government agency that could carry the ball properly. It's too small. So you, you need a national presence dealing uh, with, with fire uh, for efficiency's sake and, and to make progress. That's why you had America burning. Uh, you know, there was a research component to that as well as the development of uh, uh, the U.S. Fire Academy and getting better statistics. So you need to have that consciousness going on at a national level. Other countries, uh, fire is more in, in the national scope. And they're probably dealing with problems that we had years ago. So it's... it's... No, 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 no. The, no. the world is dealing with the same problems today. I mean, just an example. Uh, if you have a material and it has to uh, pass a flammability test to be sold... The flammability tests number into the hundreds, and every agency in the U.S., uh, every jurisdiction has a slightly different test. If you go around the world, those tests change. If you're a manufacturer trying to sell your product globally, you have to deal with this whole morass. Why the heck can't you know people settle on you know one approach? Now, who's going to make that, uh, you know, justified? It has to be some underlying science and technology. Right. Okay, but, makes sense. But who's going to keep it the way it is? People that don't want to rock the, the status quo. I mean, we can't. It doesn't seem like uh, we can even get it consistent across the states. And you're talking about, you know, the globe. So uh, 
I know, you know, for instance, in California, we think we have such strict strict standards in so many things, and then meanwhile, we end up with another warehouse fire. Uh, well, there's always going to be fires. Fires are rare events. There's there's always going to be something that goes wrong. And in that case, you you bring that. I mean, you go. That's like the Rhode Island nightclub fire. Where were the inspectors? Why doesn't fire prevention come to the forefront? Yeah, I guess there's just a lot of priorities going on in these cities, and uh, it's not. No, good. they 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 don't have the capability. They they don't have probably the knowledge base. They they don't have the money. So you've been involved in some pretty large scale investigations, from what I remember, either. Uh, either involved in the investigation or researching it afterwards. You want to talk about one or two? World Trade Center? That might have been one I was thinking of. See, now, I wasn't involved in that in any uh, financial way. I mean, no one signed me up so that I would pay for, you know, get paid to do some work. So how did you get involved? Well, like everyone else, I watched it happen. I was actually at uh, Fletzy at the ATF uh, facility that they're getting ready to teach. And uh, actually, I had uh, some some work to do during that time. So I was looking at this from the side, really. And I was put on a committee that the American Civil Engineers put together to go to New York and start an investigation. And... Uh, they had, I wasn't on the site team, but I was on like the second team and uh, I was getting emails from them. And between those emails and looking at the newspapers and seeing what some so-called experts were saying, uh, it really drove me to speak out. And then when I spoke out, I, uh, got involved with some of the family members who wanted me to, uh, give them some advice and I kind of stuck through that. And then I watched the whole investigation unfold, uh, ultimately going to, uh, NIST. And I sat through all their meetings to see what they were going to do. And then in the end, I was pretty disappointed. And if anyone goes to the testimony of the house science committee that, um, got the final report from NIST, they'll see that the first speaker before NIST got on the podium was Sally Reaganhart, one of the family members that lost her son. And she was singularly up front. And the committee was asking her what she thought. And um, you'll really get an earful uh, if you look at her testimony because she was not happy with what NIST did. And uh, I could point to what appear to be errors in what they did. Uh, but uh, so that's another frustrating uh, side of things. Uh, uh, I don't reach the same conclusion that NIST did. And uh, uh, their conclusion seems to blame totally the airplane. My conclusion blames the people that uh, put the decided on how much insulation to use on the steel. Uh, I remember those that. Two, those two conclusions uh, lead to uh, 
different implications. And so there, you know, that that's it in a nutshell. There's more to it than that. I mean, from a fire investigation standpoint, why would you take all the steel, distribute it around the country for little souvenirs, sell most of it to Korea, and uh, not segregate it out so that you would have the steel on the fire floors as forensic evidence, from which you could learn the temperature that the steel got to, which would be very important to tell you about how and why this thing collapsed. Now, why wasn't that done? And there were people screaming to do that, me included, uh, this guy, Professor Astani from Berkeley. He got kicked off the committee, and I didn't get any more emails after that. Wow. I remember uh, I remember you talking about that, and I remember the frustration. And I've, I've thought about it a lot off and on, and I remember walking past the NIST building and seeing, you know, a lot of twisted metal with numbers on it. Uh, yeah, well, NIST got that stuff afterwards. They called me up. They said, well, should we get this stuff? I said, look, you don't have the right steel. You know, get whatever you can. Maybe something's in there. So they got a truckload of it. But, I mean, the steel was marked. So when they were pulling out those big, big items, you can go directly across from the New World Trade Center in Jersey City, and you can look directly at the New World Trade Center. And right there, there's a big steel uh, uh, column piece. Right. And it's marked. And so from the marking on it, the number on it, you, people knew where it came from. So as they're taking that stuff out, all they had to do was look at it or look at it when I got to the uh, fresh kills dump site and then segregate it out. I mean, why? I mean, you had a former prosecutor as the mayor of New York at that time. Uh, we wrote to the Department of uh, Design and Construction in New York. There were newspaper articles written on this about why it wasn't being done. It, n- it never got done. Do you think it was just the mass? I mean, to me, I, I just feel like it was just the overall experience and the effect on the entire area, the people, uh, the geography, the business, everything about it seemed no, to be I, so big. I don't, I don't think so because, look, look, uh, there was a, an emotional reaction to this whole thing, but then there's... Uh, 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 there needs to be, you know, for any intelligent uh, uh, group looking at this, there there needs to be a thoughtful reaction to this. Uh, an investigation was not on the forefront. This didn't get any money for this until a year later. So they didn't even know they were going to get any investigative uh, responsibility. The 9-11 Commission wasn't signed off on until a year later. I mean, if you look at the response to national disasters in in this country or other countries, uh, it's I think a lot quicker. If you if you look at you know the the process of litigation and what that brings to the table. Uh, litigation was avoided in this case, so there were no real. There was no investigation in any depth, any place, except in NIST. 
and uh, for the building. You had the 9-11 Commission, but the 9-11 Commission had to end in, I think, 18 months. The NIST thing went on for about five years. Who the heck cares about a report five years later? Boy, and, you know, I, I can't think of a larger case of having to collect evidence and secure evidence. Um, right. <laughs> right. I mean, there was a guy screaming at me. He's the guy that uh, uh, worked for Siemens and had the contract for uh, the building monitoring system. Uh, he was screaming at me off the emails. Why isn't anyone looking for these little electronic boxes that he said would have would have survived the crash and the fire? He said they that would tell you what the uh, sensors were reading during uh, and before the fire. Wow, I never knew that. And and uh, and uh, you know, I, I I sent all that out, and it was like nothing came back. Uh, I, I mean, maybe I did, maybe I wasn't forceful enough. But, or maybe they just didn't see the end game. I mean, this guy was screaming and yelling. I, I mean, he said somebody should, you know, get these this this these electronic boxes. It was like the black box on the airplane, because it would tell you the, you know, the smoke alarms, the temperatures in the building, the heating and ventilating system, uh, all of that. Wow. And and so you would get information, and anyone knows that in a fire. These records, you know, lead lead to certain conclusions. So I guess you know if they're if they're analyzed. So I have a lot of frustration with regard to that. Uh, there's been uh, uh, I've appeared on two documentaries, uh, one in France and one in Germany, that tried to follow this up. There's been scant activity in the U.S. Every once in a while, you see uh, uh, some new documentary. Uh, I think the last one was, was by Discovery Channel. I was thinking Nova. And, uh, Didn't Nova do one? That was early on, yeah. I think. But but somebody did something recently where these two physicists in New York figured out, you know, why the building fell down so fast. And they did it by paper and pencil. Uh, and and they, you know, they confirmed their calculation. Uh, but then they went off and they said that, they thought there was an explosion due to aluminum melting and interacting with water, huh. uh, which is, you know, too far out. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, there's there's a lot of conspiracy theorists that say the building was taken down by uh, charges planted in the building by the Bush administration. Oh, and yeah, well. You could see where, you know. Yeah, I think and, sometimes people just want to move on and... Uh... Yeah, people priority. want to move on. I mean, I, I knew the reporters from the New York Times that worked this, and they just said, Jim, it's all news. Forget about it. Well, one thing you can't forget about is the fact that, you know, when fire investigators go to a fire, they need to secure the scene and they need to keep in touch with every bit of evidence that they can. And, and I hey, guess look, the ATF was thrown out of the uh, Pentagon by the FBI. Because they were telling the FBI to secure the scene and and keep the evidence where it was. Yeah, I well, I wasn't aware of that. I do know uh, that Mike Bouchard had been involved with. Uh, yes, he wrote a report. I probably public. Say that again. I'm sorry. He wrote a report on this after action report. It's probably public. Okay. I mean, <laughs> the. 
what, why what, you you have to why why didn't the ATF guys go to New York and try to help out? They were key in the '93 bombing. Yeah, they found the truck with the New York uh, bomb squad. I remember that. Uh, why didn't NTSB play a role in the investigation? They usually write a report and tell you what happened publicly. I don't know. But I guess we're leaving some questions for people. The FBI said you're you're not on the scene. Yeah. This is terrorist a- activity. It's our job. We well, we know to... this was arson. We don't need ATF. Uh, and that's it. So you had no 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 ATF involvement. The the best national force for fire investigation. You had no NTSB involvement. The the best investigative group in the world probably for air crashes and and incidents like this and they were not involved i didn't know that yeah there's no ntsb report wow and one of the issues is that nist claims that when the airplane went through the building it knocked off all the insulation read their report they said the 45 or 49 columns in the center had all of their insulation removed I think NTSB would have to have, you know, something to say about that, whether that's plausible or not. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, this this came to that conclusion after people on their advisory panel told me that this couldn't figure out how the building came down. And then they, by taking the insulation off the core columns, they, they, they jiggled up something. But that's a real stretch. I mean... (laughs) I don't know if you're going to play all this back on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here going, man, yeah, I knew there yeah, were some yeah. things that happened. I, you know, I, I think it's very interesting. And I think, you know, you bring up a lot of good questions. And, and that's classic of a researcher, uh, you know, to be looking for answers it, and, and trying to it, get look, information. Two years ago, NIST finally published in the open literature their report. So when they publish it in the open literature, you can now write a letter to the editor. Now, who wrote a letter to the editor? Me and one of the former people on their advisory panel. And how did that go? Oh, that, that's a story in itself. <laughs> the journal that published their report, in the end, wanted to redact half of our letter to the editor. So we went to a different journal. Mm. And why did they want to redact it? Uh, you'll have to ask that editor. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, here I wanted to spotlight on some of the things that you've been involved in, and I know that this was a big deal. Um, I think, you know, just the fact that with your credibility and with your desire to see future things like this have, uh, I don't know, be handled like any scene, like any crime scene or fire investigation scene, uh, I'm hearing you clearly that there are things that we could have done to secure more and to do better research and to, to find better answers. Uh, and I appreciate uh, there, that. You, you, you know, like, you know, witnesses, uh, stories are real important. Right. NIST had to get special permission until they, to, uh, interrogate any people. I think it took them two years before wow. they could do that. Well, wow. Yeah, and I guess in this case, they would be doing informational interviews. Well, sort of. NIST had their lawyers working as uh, defense lawyers. Wow. 
So <laughs> there, 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 there's uh, one one guy. Uh, there's a guy. Uh, his name is. Uh, uh, they're drilling drilling through the wall now. Uh, they're coming to get you. <laughs> there's something on the internet that this guy put together a, a story and. Uh, uh, he's a journalist from California. So, but it, it's in the background. You know, no one cares about this anymore. But we we did go to war over it. Yeah, I've, something tells me people do care. Um, I don't know. I, I I can imagine that. You know, now that we're at this point, it would be difficult to really raise it up again. Um, and I've heard some of the arguments that you're you know that you discussed about insulation. Um, so I don't, I don't think all was lost there, and I'm well, grateful for you sharing what, the story. What, what I would have hoped for is someone just take a look at what I'm saying and take a look at what NIST has, and uh, and uh, maybe make a judgment. Yeah, because if I'm right and they're wrong, then they really screwed up. Well, that's above my pay grade. I think is what guys in <laughs> my business say often. Um, what can I say? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, you took this from a uh, a piece where I wanted to highlight some of your work into a, a pretty in-depth story of a, a huge challenge in investigation. So I, I guess I, I sort of want to shift away a little bit and, and, and wrap this up and, and Go ahead. get from you some things from what you've learned, you know, and, and from your research and from, you know, things as large as the World Trade Center. Um what do you want to communicate to investigators as a researcher? Well, uh, keep demanding uh, that science underlie their uh, technology and uh, keep learning because I think the investigators have made the biggest push into the science of the field and they're the biggest promoters of it and I think that they should stay that way. Uh, And they'll be driving the field. I mean, this meeting out in San Francisco, fire materials meeting, has a whole section now uh, with regard to fire investigation. So it shows that fire investigation is moving into the area of uh, research and and developing new knowledge, and all of that's good. Well, good. You give me hope. I appreciate that. There's hope. And I, you know, I often say to my wife, "The Chinese will save the field." I often say to my wife, she's like, God, you're so critical about some things. And I said, well, you know, some of the greatest criticism is also surrounded sometimes by the greatest hope. Uh, Yeah, yeah, sure. The field has moved uh, enormously. It's made really progress. I'm just, I was fortunate enough to be in the right place and and to, uh, you know, uh, be associated uh, with the field and people in the field and investigators, researchers, uh, it's been a wonderful uh, life experience. It's, it really, it really has. And, and I, I got to tell you personally, um, it helped me and my company. Um, it helped my company obviously by having business that we were able to do by developing these networks to teach online. Yeah. With... yeah you, you guys do a good job. What, Thank what you. you've done for, you know, IAAI with CFI trainer, that that's fantastic. Well, that wouldn't have happened without, that great network of people, including yourself. And, uh, huh, when I think, when I think about all that, I, I am very grateful and, I, and I'm excited about the fact that it's an industry where people spend a lot of time learning and they're hungry to learn. So 
Yes, and you can remember IWAI was party to a suit where they wanted to stop this thing about, you know, science and experts. And mm-hmm. they, they really changed, the, you know, 180 degrees. Yeah. Interesting. So that that's a big, big plus. That, that organization has done, you know, great, great work to uh, uh, integrate science into the field in a way that's not threatening to the investigator and helps them learn, like, through your, your work. And so it, it's fantastic. Well, I'm very grateful for your time. And I, I, I want to thank you for a lot of the people that I bumped into or the people who originally introduced me for, you know, all of your work and writing and teaching. From what I've learned, you've helped everybody in this industry have a better understanding of fire. So thanks for and, your time. And now my main priority is to uh, get my uh, routine down for the mummers and uh, be successful in this uh, New Year's Day parade. Well... I the last time I saw you move, I think it was at Rock and Bowl um, in New Orleans, and you there can you, go. You, you could move then. So uh, we'll all yeah. we'll all look for you. All right, right. Thanks very much for your time, Doctor Quinteri. Bye 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 bye. Well, that's about it for our podcast this month. Once again, we want to thank Doctor Quinteri not only for his time today, but for his contributions to fire science and more specifically to the fire investigation field. Well, today's podcast went a little bit long, but uh, considering Dr. Quinteri had a lot of interesting things to say, we just decided to let it roll. So uh, even though we've been trying to cut the podcast down under 30 minutes, once again, hope you enjoyed the longer format today. By the way, we're also looking for your feedback, if you'll notice, under the podcast page. I know some of you listen on the... uh, on the Apple podcast, but you also, I think the majority of our people listen uh, just online. So if you could take a look under the player now, there's a feedback box and we'd like to hear what you have to say about the show or if you have any comments or uh, suggestions for content that we might cover in the future, we'd appreciate hearing from you. Hope you all had a beautiful holiday together with your families and friends and hope you have a great new year. For CFITrainer.net and the International Association of Arson Investigators. I'm Rod Ammon.